Hello, welcome to From Poverty to Power. Duncan Green here. Um, I've got a big uh, treat today, an honor to be with Dr. Maria Al Abde, who runs the Women Now for Development organization in Syria. Um, Maria actually has a PhD in microbiology, so one of the things I want to find out is how she ended up being a feminist activist in Syria. Um, and she's in the UK to launch a new organization called the Global Fund for Women, which I hope we'll mention at some point mm -hmm. during, during the chat. So, Maria, uh, welcome. Thank you. Um, could you just give us a little bit of bio? How did you get involved? What happened? What happened? Uh, yeah, when, you know, when we, the uprising and the revolution started in April 2011 in Syria, I was in France doing my PhD, and I felt like I want to be part of this movement, this amazing movement, the youth and the women and men on the street asking for liberty or freedom. So I wanted to support them in any way. So I start little by little uh, initiative working on non-violence, uh, support children, and then I start visiting part of the country when uh, a wonderful woman, a Syrian writer, Samaria Beik, was working to, to support women uh, on the most vulnerable area to, to set up their own business with the war. A lot of men get killed and lots of women became head of house without any preparations. So, so Samar started Women Now for Development with the aim for Syrian women to be part of the future, but to do it on a holistic approach, which means like working on financial uh, independence of women, uh, psychosocial support so to prepare them to be able to be part of the future and I just joined the dream because I felt it's it's mine. And is it an explicitly feminist organization? Yes, yes, it was a long discussion within Women Now because like we are a feminist organization but sometimes uh, not all of us define ourselves as feminist. I think we are like um, Maybe a little bit too ambitious, but I feel we are creating a new wave of feminism. Okay, we'll get on to that. Thank <laughs> yeah. you very much. And, and you, you have always been a feminist, or was there a moment? No, no, I, I have always been a feminist. Okay. Yeah, I think so, yeah. All right, yeah. lovely. Um, so tell me a little bit, I was reading a little bit about Women Now for Development, and I was interested in these uh, women's centres you run in okay. Syria and Lebanon. So you have eight, I think, of them at the moment. We had eight. We lost four during the war. Oh, really? Yes, okay. Yes. So could you tell me a little bit about how they work? Okay, we started with supporting um, small financial initiative with women and then uh, we find out that if we really need women to be part of the future, we need to have a more holistic approach and saying what they need. So what they need is vocational training, so they already they are financially independent, they can support their family, they need psychosocial support, they are under war. Uh, they need sometimes they need different kind of uh, training. Sometimes they want to learn English, they want to learn computers, they want so they need some skills, some leadership skills, and they need access. So we try to provide all of this through centers in different area of the country or in neighboring country, and we connect the centers uh, between each other. And then a wonderful woman network has been created of women who are in different area, living under reality, different reality. You have refugee women, you have women under siege, we have, you have me who is here in Europe, you have 
you have very different type of women who are all working together for the same but objective. How do you do that in the middle of the, the disasters we see on the television and the, the, that kind of destruction? It's the will and the resilience of our colleague inside Syria who drives us. But, but you, you say four centers have shut in Syria. Are, are any still going? No, but, you know, just to give you a few... I, people want to continue, like just last week. Last week, uh, one of our centers, one of the still existing centers, was under heavy bombing for one week. And what our colleague there did, they continued to give the trainings through WhatsApp group. Wow. So you use social media to keep going? Yeah, they want, like, if there is one thing I have learned during all these years, is how people and women are, are resilient and how they still, they still dream when you see, like, you see the... Apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seen. Yes. Seen on the televisions. But you cannot say that this woman, I don't know, like, sent us message. We need to improve the English courses and the centers. We need to speak better English. I want this book. I want to, I want to learn. I want, like, I, have, I am living under siege, but I have dreams for the future when the siege is end. So, so yeah. It's one of the things that people in Britain always comment on about Syrian refugees is the high levels of education and skills and, you know, a, a middle class, a lot of middle class refugees come over and, and yeah. that is quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, but we may lose this if we don't support them now because now we have generation of young Syrian who didn't have access to education. So now we have people who are 15 and have left schools five years ago. So, so that is a problem that we really need to take the priority of the people now into account. I mean, at the launch of Global Fund for Women last night, you mentioned that this was one of the things you'd been saying to aid, international aid organizations, and they hadn't listened. Yeah, they hadn't listened enough. So there is some of them who have listened, there is some. But yes, uh, really education was, has been on the heart of women demons from the very beginning. Women didn't want their boys to go to armed group. They wanted to find jobs, to, to continue their educations, to, to have a decent way, a decent future. Uh, yeah, hmm. this didn't happen, unfortunately enough. I mean. Thank you. It's pretty interesting for, to, to hear about a feminist organization in the middle of the apocalypse, as you call it. Um, and how, what, how does that shape what you do? Do you have to talk about different kinds of rights, different kinds of approaches to feminism? And do you, do you change the way you relate to women or the way you organize because of the fact that you're in the middle of a, of a, of a war, of a humanitarian disaster? Or do you carry on? I mean, how, how, do you, how does your feminism inform your response? I think women now is like very much an intersectional uh, feminist organizations and we didn't stick to word. So at the beginning when people like I remember being in one center when I had access to and the woman telling me uh, I don't want to be a feminist. I want to cook dinner for my husband. <laughs> and I thought like if you are happy when you are do it, just do it. <laughs> So, so yeah, it's it's really to it's really to to support 
other women to, su to support them and also to learn from them. Yeah, so, so I think our feminism is really, uh, so it's around solidarity uh, and it's about respect. Um, and yeah, through, through this, um, we ha I have met just, as I told you, amazing women who came to the center to learn under bombs, even they are not, they know nothing about feminisms, but they became the most feminist advocate that I can like, I know. So yeah, don't stick to the word. And, and I was reading one of your uh, interviews where you distinguish between Arab feminism and Western feminism. Well, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that one before. So could you explain a little bit why, what you mean by Arab feminism and what the difference is? Yeah, I don't think, yeah, to, I don't remember to what you are referring, but yeah, I think it's, um, I have always been part of... Um, well, what you, what you were saying was yeah, that, um, that separatism doesn't work. Yeah, because yeah. Because women yes. are already separate. Yeah, yeah so, so uh, my thoughts are usually that like myself being Syrian, going to Europe and and discover some feminist theory has been shaped what I what I am today, but I am also having my own history. It's not about being different, but it's to understand every context. As I told you, like um, um, for lots of feminists, there is only one way to be a feminist. For us, there is multiple way to be a feminist and Sometimes women are taking their reference from, from their culture and from their religion. And sometimes they can come up with very feminist thoughts. So yeah, to be open, to, to, be, to be open and respect this woman's thought and... Uh... So on that, I mean, on that issue, how do you understand Islamic feminism? Because I know there have been big debates around this over the years. I understand it as women to want their rights, but for lots of women and, uh, and men, Islam is about equality. So they are, uh, they are claiming this equality through uh, religious tools that has been forgotten because for a long time religion has been like led by men. So these women are just looking around and looking, and they found very interesting tools. So they're rediscovering feminism within the Quran. Yeah. Okay. And how's that? How's that going down in in Syria? What's the reaction to that kind of discourse? <sighs> there is different way because, like, it's you know the war have some awful part of it, but it's also sometimes let you question everything. I mean, that's one of the experiences of feminism in the UK and in other countries is that war reshapes, throws everything up in the air mm. and leads to a, either a permanent or a temporary expansion of women's rights. Do you think that could happen in, in Syria? I don't know because I'm... What is really, what I'm really worried about it in Syria today is we are going through a very difficult time when lots of women will not have even the time to think about the right because they are only trying to survive with their family, uh, facing very hard economic situations, facing a lot of injustice on a 
conflict and post-conflict when they have lost everything and they didn't see their dream. Like today, Syria is, didn't become a democracy. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we are still going uh, during a very, very, it's not tough or rough, I don't know, a bloody dictatorship. Uh, when people have lost everything, lots of them have been displaced, forcibly displaced. So you asked me about four centers. So the people there now are displaced inside Syria. Some of them are in neighboring country, but neighboring country now are pushing back refugee. I truly believe in a young generations, but I think they need they need real support and conditions. Okay, so let's I mean let's go on to the aid system then because. I mean, at the launch last night where you were speaking, a number of other feminists from around the world were speaking, um, INGOs didn't come out very well, international NGOs, but nor did the aid system in general. Um, how do you engage as Women Now for Development? How do you engage with the aid system? What's your experience of the aid system? We have been enjoying some women's solidarity, partnership. Uh, with women's organizations? With women organizations, yeah. yeah, like Global Fund for Women, like uh, Women League, International League for Peace and Freedom, like Vena Telegvena. So, yeah, but actually, um, financially speaking, uh, this kind of partnership is a very small part of the humanitarian system. Mm-hmm. So the humanitarian system is more about delivering programs and implementing programs and treating us as implementers. So they came with a lot of very specific programs and priority that sometimes fits of the reality, most of the time not. And the most complicated is how women rights has been politicized. So everyone is coming, wanted to work with Syrian women, work on women uh, rights in Syria, and so they want to have trainings on women leadership or women political participations, and they forgot the reality of this women. So, how we can work with traumatized women, how we can work with women who who have nothing to cook at night about their political participation if we don't discuss with them their priority. So, how you can empower someone to be political active? if you are just giving him lessons about how to do and not empowering them by having these discussions and and looking about like to be able to go and be political uh, politically active you need to be also free financial and independent you, you need like some yeah it's a, you need a and, context and that doesn't fit within the way the aid system sees things the aid system sees things as little boxes of we're going to do political participation. We're going to do peace building, not education, peace building. It's just like, what peace building means without education? It's, yeah, mm-hmm. so the boxes are very yeah, tight. So you get quite frustrated? <laughs> yes, very much, because, and specifically now, when you have, like now, uh, humanitarian aid has been dropped out of Syria, it's like, now we are on a post-conflict. No, we are still on the conflict. It's not a post-conflict. So now we are discussing the reconstruction, but we have people who are not, we have millions of people who are not allowed to come back to, in Syria to her, their hometown. We have, no one is talking about this. No one is talking about, yeah, so we have, you feel like you have a manual 
of like how to deal with the conflict and like people are just searching into the manual. So now we are here. Now you we're know. on page 20. Yeah, now we are on page 20, but it's not the reality on the ground. And it is what we are losing when you are not connecting with the people on the ground and the grassroots movement, because it will cost, you know, it will cost a lot of money because all this money will be like just spent. And in a few years, the, the conflict will start again because nothing has been solved. I mean, the, so what do you do about that? I mean, okay, you, are, you say the aid system must reform. People have been saying that for decades. Right. Um, and it doesn't seem to be very much. Um, do you think you can fund your work in other ways? I mean, either through something like Global Fund for Women, which tries to get out of the way, disintermediate, allow people here to fund organizations like yours directly, um, or through raising money from the Syrian diaspora uh, or in Syria. I mean, are there other ways than staying dependent on this really unsympathetic aid system? Partly, yes. But we, I think, will mainly depend on women's solidarity, which is not enough at all. Which is not enough at all because when you are talking about a human humanitarian catastrophe, you know, we are talking about billions. So it's it's very, yeah, it's very painful to get this money lost. So so we will still keep keeping advocating, even if no one is listening. And there is some stuff. So like. We had uh, three years ago. We had uh, Istanbul uh, international meeting about localization of aid. So steps are coming little by little. Uh, but for us, for this kind of like woman work, I think yeah, we mainly depend on women solidarity because for everybody on the humanitarian system or sometimes on the diaspora, the the priority is to feed people is to and to support your family so the diaspora concentrate on supporting their families because like every Syrian abroad have at least 10 people inside that he needs to or she needs to support okay yeah you have the medical aid you have the injuries so 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 the kind of feminist war can be seen as something like a luxury of a luxury yeah. that we don't have but our experience says that if you don't work with the woman now, you will lose them. And when you lose the woman from the, to participate on the, on the future of the country, you are losing a very important voice. Yeah. Thanks, uh, Maria. Um, one thing I just wanted to um, bring up from last night, because it really struck me, was you talked about Jo Cox. Yeah. And Jo Cox used to work at Oxfam, and I used to work with her. When I first came to Oxfam, okay. she was one of my colleagues. So could you just tell us a little bit about your experience of, of Joe in Syria? Uh, so we were working with, uh, with a group of women on, uh, on, um, on aid, uh, how to deliver aid on a, to a besieged area. And they wrote an open letter when they were explaining what happened to them and their children and how like, they have been... So, and we start a campaign, and the campaign, uh, I think she got a letter or she heard of the campaign, and she started advocating to break the siege of the city of Daria. And she really, and uh, yeah, all her positions around Syria were so amazing when she was talking about being ethical, about not thinking 
on a political way, thinking on being ethical when you are talking about the conflict in Syria. We know who is bombing. We know that the Syrian government is bombing. So she was she was very courageous. And when when she got murdered and we told the woman this, they organized a gathering for her and wrote letter to her family. Women who are under bombs take a moment to write to the family of Joe Cox because they really believed on on her and the amazing things of solidarity or for this woman to see that a woman who is like who may never heard of them before really felt responsible of their fate they felt that someone was really standing in solidarity with them without having any political agenda and so that was for him Mike it's all about it wow yeah. Yeah. okay I think we're going to have to stop there. Yeah. We're both too upset to continue. Um, one final thought, though, just one question. Um, are you ever going to go back to microbiology after all this? I don't know. This is a question that my family keep asking me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Marielle Abde, thank you very thank much you. from Women uh, Now for Development. And uh, if listeners are interested, please look them up online and look up uh, the Global Fund for Women because they're doing great work supporting people like Maria. Thank you very much. Thank you.